0: Welcome aboard. We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime. Ready when you are, CB. Action. Welcome to Monorail Radio episode number 207. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. And we are here this week to review and discuss Werewolf by Night. I know we are just past Halloween. We did... Initially wanna get this out for the spooky season in October, but because we did so much with Mighty Ducks because that was such a big anniversary, we figured, well, we'd rather just do this now. No one's gonna kill us that we were a day later than Halloween, because honestly, like this is still generating a lot of buzz, and despite the fact that it's a werewolf by night film, um, I think that this is gonna have staying power past Halloween.
1: Right, because it's still a comic book character. It's still, you know, I associate this with Marvel more than I do horror.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, This had been in development for a long time. Um, They've been trying to develop this character, like most Marvel characters. They've been trying to develop it for like 20 years. So um, I guess it's a, I'm glad that they held out because, well, I don't want to spoil the review. But I'm glad that they held out because we do have a lot to discuss today. Are we excited about the new character? Do we want to see more How different is this from the other things we've seen Marvel do in the past? That, on top of many other things, is what we are here to discuss today.
1: This episode is sponsored by the Hidden Mickey Supply Co. Products include Disney and Pixar-inspired 3D straw charms, ornaments, and personalized photo nightlights. Listeners of Monoreal Radio can get a 10% discount with the code MONOREAL10 at checkout. Visit Hidden Mickey Supply Co. on Instagram and Etsy to stay up to date
0: on all the new releases. Following the death of Ulysses, Bloodstone, a new leader of Monster Hunters is set to be crowned by competition. One by one, Jack Russell, Jovin, Arizel, Leorn, Barrasso, and Bloodstone's estranged daughter Elsa are released into the garden at Bloodstone's estate, where they hunt a monster as well as themselves to capture the Bloodstone, uh, the actual Bloodstone itself, and the title. Jack encounters Man-Thing, who is also known as Ted, the monster who possesses the Bloodstone. They have an existing relationship, so Jack is set on rescuing him, and escaping the compound together. Jack and Elsa develop a friendship and a bond over their mutual desire to simply escape with their lives, but Jack promises her the stone in exchange for her help. They help Ted escape, but when Jack picks up the stone, it sends him flying backwards, which exposes him as a monster himself. So, Verusa, Ulysses' widow, locks Jack and Elsa in a cage, waiting for Jack to expose himself for what he really is. He tells Elsa that he is a werewolf, and Verusa uses the stone to transform him. Jack escapes the cage and kills Verusa's uh, henchmen while Elsa kills the other hunters. Jack escapes the compound while Elsa takes the stone and Ted eventually kills Verusa to be reunited with Jack outside the compound. So 55 minutes. This moves really fast. Um, it's a short plot But I don't want to confuse it with not being a full story.
1: Right, because there is a lot going on.
0: Yeah, and it's super fast-paced.
1: Admittedly, the first time that we watched this, and that was completely separate from watching it for this review. Uh, We just, you know, we heard great things about it. We wanted to check it out earlier on in October. Um, I was very confused. They don't give you a ton of background on these characters and the setup is very quick. So I felt like I barely learned names before they released them to go on the hunt. But even before that, admittedly, I was so distracted by the visual because from the opening credits, this film hooks you in the way they stylized it like a classic
0: Hollywood monster movie. Yeah. The irony is that they're they're styling it after the classic Universal horror films, the monster movies from the nineteen thirties and forties.
1: Did you look at my paper? No. That is verbatim what I have.
0: It's brilliant. And it's it's set against this special presentation open from Marvel that just reminds me of old HBO. Like HBO back in the day, like the eight uh, the late eighties and the early nineties with the font and the music. Like so it, it puts you in a time and place That's an awful lot of fun if you were old enough to remember what that was like. Now, to your point, they don't waste a lot of time getting into the action, and you're right. They don't give you an awful lot about the characters that you're going to watch throughout the hunt, but what they do is they give you the Bloodstone family history as they're kind of reading you the history of it, and they're showing you quick flashbacks. I love that they don't waste time jumping into the action and that they give you at least that much I personally felt like it was enough to at least get us on the ground floor because I figured that the rest of the characters would be fleshed out as soon as they started this hunt I
1: agree if this was anything else that opening voiceover probably would have felt like it was dragging a little bit giving you all of this exposition that we should be finding out through the characters but it's so stylized you can totally overlook that Um, Right from that little flash of the Avengers in the beginning, I love that baton pass as a reminder that we are watching, you know, a comic book character, that this isn't a straight horror because they've hit us with so many visuals that cue us into a classic horror film. Um, So that voiceover is just enough to get you going even though you don't get to spend a lot of time with these characters before they go out. I love... um, that opening funeral set, I think, the, I mean, the whole Bloodstone Manor is just amazing. But in particular, uh, this room with all of the taxidermy monsters um, and the way that they intro the characters with the confirmed kills, I yeah. thought that was so well done.
0: Yeah, this is a, a really interesting how they do it because, first off, they have Ulysses as a robotic corpse. Which is brilliantly uncomfortable, by the way.
1: It's so good. I believe that's an animatronic, right? They didn't have an actor in there.
0: No, that's an animatronic. It's so good. Um, But to the point you made, when they're going over the confirmed kills, Jack is immediately the most interesting character in the room, not because you know he is going to be... Our werewolf, but because he's got over a hundred kills, he's got nearly double the kills of the person that runs second to him, but he's extraordinarily selective with his kills. So he's an immediately a intriguing character because you wonder how someone could have twice as many kills and yet be so selective at the same time.
1: Right, and you can just tell there's something about him right down to the tribal paint on his face and he alludes to it being uh, a cultural thing, or from uh, Call back his, to ancestors. his ancestors, yeah. yeah. Um, but you just
0: kind of know there's more to it than that. It also makes sense that Ulysses would want to set up this competition. But the one thing that I didn't really jive with the first time we saw it is. Why would you want to set up this challenge and risk losing so many monster hunters? Because it kind of seems like it's a limited market. And if you were the leader of the monster hunters, it just seems strange that you would want so many of them bumped off.
1: Right, because ultimately, even though they're working alone, they have a common goal. So technically, they are working together. So why would you want to thin out your allies? I did sort of think of that too, but... I guess the reasoning behind it is that this only happens once in a while. Yeah. So it's not like this is a yearly event. You know, this isn't the Hunger Games. It's it's once every, well, really. Once in a lifetime. This might be, yeah, the only time they've ever done it. But, well, no, I shouldn't say that. I would think that Ulysses won this competition once upon a time. Because there were so many rules in place. I don't think this is the first time that they've ever done it. But yeah, you got to figure once every 70, 80 years uh, this is happening. My, my big takeaway, aside from the incredible animatronic, is uh, Ulysses says, I'll be rotting for you. And it's so Haunted Mansion. I love it. I know two separate entities. This is Marvel, but I, I think that was sort of intentional. Yeah. I could see Gracie saying it, too.
0: The most fleshed-out character at this point, I think, is Elsa, because you have Verusa telling her that she's a disappointment to her father, she was a failure for the family, because Elsa's not into the monster hunting, she does not want to participate in it, and she's not at all phased by the fact that she's being referred to by her stepmother as a disappointment to her dead father, she just doesn't care at all, so... Immediately, she is the most fleshed-out character in the room. I
1: would argue that so is Varusa with that kind of um, an attitude towards her stepdaughter.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's it. She's kind of just the evil stepmother, right? Like, she's very much an archetype, but she didn't need to be more than that. Right? She was just enough.
1: I think what separates her from... Being just a total trope is that she takes she's got so much glee that they're going to die. Yeah. So I think that's what rounds her out a little bit more.
0: And then from there, I'll be honest with you, I don't have a ton of notes until we basically get to the third act, because upon being released into the estate, into the garden, so to speak, um It's basically just a massacre and a bloodbath at this point. The two most interesting things to me are that Ted has an existing relationship with um, with Jack, Jack, and that Jack and Elsa kind of start teaming up because they both just want to get out of this alive. Neither one of them necessarily care about being the leader of the Monster Hunters. Elsa wants the stone for her namesake. Jack wants nothing to do with it whatsoever. He's just there to rescue Ted.
1: Right. But it is a really great setup, though, because this whole time you're thinking that the monster that they're hunting is the werewolf. So by the time they flip it, I mean, yes, you are expecting it because you know what you're sitting down to watch. But if I had no clue about anything coming into this, it would have been such a surprising reveal. Um, The estate set is amazing, too. It's as good as they did the Manor on the inside. Um, I I think the garden is gorgeous. I love how they start this hunt with the tuba on fire when they're ready to release everyone. Yeah. Um, and you're right. It is just sort of a bloodbath at first, but the fight sequences are really good. Like Elsa's first kill. Um, I wasn't expecting that. I mean, I don't know the character all that well, but. I wasn't really expecting the martial arts fighting. I was expecting everybody, because they said that there's weapons hidden everywhere. So yeah. uh, her attacker has one. He has the the arrow that shoots from his hand. Yes. Um, but I was expecting her to find something, and they do this really great fight sequence. Um Something we should also mention, this entire thing is in black and white. So it's gorgeous. Uh everything is black and white except for the bloodstone itself. It glows red. Yeah. Um, so it just adds another layer to this fight sequence. And then um when she makes her kill as her attacker is Dying, another one of the monster hunters. Uh, he overhears them, so he's coming into the garden where they are, and she rolls them into a pit and she covers them. Um, and the way that they reveal it is so brilliant because our view is the audience is blocked uh, by a big axe, and then one of the other hunters takes the axe to reveal them in the pit. He should have seen them, but the way that they shot it, this camera angle. Um, It creates so much tension and so much suspense that, you know, they probably shouldn't have gotten away with it in the moment, but they do.
0: I think my favorite part about this part of the film, this middle act, so to speak, is when they go to the mausoleum. Yes. And Elsa is telling Jack about, like, her family history. And she's talking about, I think it was her aunt... And I think they said that she had lost her mind or something to that effect. And how she used to go on and on and on about getting away from everything. And she smashes open the mausoleum, smashes open where her aunt is being kept. And she says that she was told by her father that her aunt always had an exit strategy. And she reaches into the tomb and pulls out a set of keys. So... Her aunt took it with her, and Elsa knew enough to know that she would have done that, and that's their means of escaping,
1: right? Because they've locked themselves in the mausoleum to escape everyone else. Uh, and once you're in, it, it, it the door only goes one way, right? Uh, so I thought that was really funny too to allude to the aunt believing in an afterlife where she would need the keys to get out of this mausoleum. It's great, and the set is great in there too, it's very simple. You see, like, nine or 12 uh, crypts, if you will. Uh, But the way that they're uplit. And then they have, like, the modern writing almost. It looks like a movie marquee marking each of these graves. Um, But, yeah, really, really cool set.
0: Yeah, it's great. So, eventually, they get the bloodstone off of Ted, right? Because that was the thing. It was... Ted has the bloodstone attached to him. Apparently, it's very painful for him. So the other monster hunters are trying to kill him and then physically remove it. At this point, uh, Jack just wants to pop it off of him so that the two of them can leave and give Elsa the stone. So when he does eventually... Well, I think it was Elsa prized it off of him because one of the other things that she found in her aunt's tomb, it was like a, it was like a ratcheting grapple hook and that's what she used to literally pull the bloodstone off of ted as he was escaping the compound
1: right because while she's helping him with the stone she gave or jack had explosives i don't think she gave it to him yeah but he's blowing up a wall so that ted can just get out of there
0: right so she yanks it off and jack innocently goes to pick it up to hand it to her not knowing what's going to happen and when he picks it up and gets blast, uh, blasted backwards admittedly at first I thought that what that meant was that he became the werewolf by touching the bloodstone
1: oh interesting like the okay. whole time
0: I'm thinking like bloodstone himself is a werewolf and like, the power of the werewolf is held inside of the actual bloodstone. I I mean, because I had no idea what any of this was about. And I'm thinking that, like, like, part of getting the responsibility of the bloodstone is also being responsible for the monster.
1: Yeah. That would also be a really interesting twist. Or it's that you're working with these monster hunters so that you can sort of hide in plain sight.
0: Yeah. But... In terms of monster reveals, I say this is one of the best reveals that we've ever seen. And I'm talking in any film. You know, like, it's not uncommon in a horror movie that one of the people that you anticipate to be a protagonist is a monster themselves. Or are working with the monsters. Or have been taken by a monster. And you have no idea, right? And the reveals are usually pretty shocking. But I think this is one of the best reveals we've ever seen when we find out that he is in fact a werewolf and that's why he can't touch the bloodstone.
1: I also love the reveal that Elsa is in the cage with him because technically she won. So she got what she wanted. She got the the stone that is rightfully hers. This should all be over, but no one wants to let it go. They want to see her taken out. So they leave her with him. And immediately, not only do you get a little bit more of a look into Jack's story, um, because he tells her, you know, what he is now in the moment is different than what he becomes. And he's not the same person. And the werewolf is the monster hunter. That's not who he is. He doesn't want to hurt anyone. And because they've been working together and he's clearly taken a liking to her, he immediately tells her how she can save herself and he starts sniffing her so that he'll remember once he transforms. I I love that whole sequence and that whole relationship that's developing between them. And I love that they keep continuing to toe the line between romance, but not really. It's more of just a mutual respect for each other. The other thing I couldn't figure out though was, why they put the cage back inside when I'm sure they have some sort of external structure for Ted when, when he was there. Um, and I couldn't figure it out until you get this brilliant sequence. Once Jack transforms into the werewolf where he's jumping around on the cages, but he's also faced with the monster taxidermy that, you know, all, all of the prior kills and, and, he's looking right into the eyes of what he could potentially become here if someone gets him.
0: Right. Yeah. Cause basically at this point, the entire third act is just another bloodbath. It. But it, these are brutal kills. Yes. Like they're really brutal. And it's not just Jack as he's mutilating these henchmen, but Elsa's kills. Like by film standards, her films are really, or, or her kills are really good by Marvel standards, they're like completely off the charts.
1: Yeah. I mean, even when you consider things like Captain America and we're, we're seeing fighting based in war and that kind of thing, this was just different. And I know it's a horror. I know they're going to go for the gore. And I'm glad that they didn't hold back on it. But when you do think of it in the context of a superhero film... This is a comic book film. It it's not a superhero, so I guess that's where it's very jarring.
0: Yeah, I mean, she kills, I believe it was Barrasso. She kills him after fighting and he's on his hands and knees and she has a sword in her hand. She puts the sword up to his throat, puts her heel on the on the crown of his head and literally just pushes his head down and slits his throat. Like it's it's brutal. It's totally brutal. He was kind of a jerk though. Well, they all were, but that was so that's why you don't feel bad about it. But like these were These were over the top, but but they were but they were they were so entertaining. They were so good.
1: I don't think they were all jerks, though, like there were there was enough to latch on to with the rest of these characters where I wasn't rooting for them over Elsa or Jack. But. I wish we had spent a little bit more time with that. I would have been totally fine if this was an hour and a half to two hour film.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's the one thing that you lose, right, is a little bit more character development with the rest of them because you are, you know, kind of shoehorning this into a a short film that's under an hour. Right. Um, Do you have anything else on the actual story before we get into the cast here?
1: Um, I mean, I like that they reunite Jack and Ted at the end of it. Um, The song choice, though, I want to talk through this because... (laughs) I haven't really made up my mind on whether or not I like it. Um, the last sequence of the film, um, you know, Elsa gets the bloodstone, she she tells uh the butler to just start cleaning up. Yeah. Um, and somewhere over the rainbow starts playing and they they pull back from Elsa, and then we see um Ted and Jack in the woods and Jack is back in human form. Um, So, you know that they're both okay. Um, I love the old Hollywood feel that the song gives this, this scene. Um, I think you do need that quality to sort of wrap it all up. I just don't know that I would have picked this song.
0: I love the fact though that they, harken back to The Wizard of Oz because as Somewhere Over the Rainbow is playing, the film now goes from black and white to color. Um,
1: I mean, that would explain the song choice for sure, but as it relates to the characters, I guess that's what I bump on a little bit.
0: But I think it's just the irony of it that Jack, Jack and Ted are now somewhere over the rainbow to continue killing. It's just that they didn't kill Elsa. It's not that they're going to stop, they haven't been cured, they're just going to keep going. It's that cruel irony. I-, I thought it was perfect. I loved the placement of the song, and I-, I love the hat tip to not just a classic film, but to the classic era that they're trying to kind of mirror here. Because you think about Wizard of Oz came out in 1939, and... Mm-hmm and a lot of these universal monster movies that they're kind of modeling this after came out around the same time. So this whole thing is just a nod to that entire like bygone era of filmmaking.
1: Well, I guess that's it. I hadn't really considered anything more than like surface value that they're just trying to tap back into that era, but as you mentioned with the with the black and white to color it is very fitting and uh, to consider that it's very tongue-in-cheek, it works.
0: And uh, most of this film is tongue-in-cheek. All right, you want to start breaking down some of our casting characters here? Yes. All right, we're going to start with Gael Garcia Bernal, who plays Jack Russell. I also find it very ironic that a werewolf, a, 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 a human dog, so to speak, is named Jack Russell. Um, I, I love that that is his name. And he is just such an intriguing character from start to finish. There isn't anything that I don't like about this character to the point where we we spend so little time with him. But at the same time, I hope that they do more with this character that we see him pop up in other films and other specials because I just want to spend more time with him.
1: Me too. I think that's that's another tongue in cheek thing too, because the Jack Russell, you know, that's a little yippy dog. It's it's not gonna do anything. Um, so that's more. Uh, this is the humor that you sort of miss where you have to watch it two and three times, um, because it's not as overt as something like Guardians of the Galaxy, where the jokes are just very much in your face. But that's really funny. I love the casting choice here, not just because. Gail Garcia Bernal did an an amazing job, but that Marvel took a very serious actor and put him in a role like this. I remember when he came on the scene in It Mama Tambien and everybody was talking about his performance and then he went on to do Mozart in the Jungle, which is a really buzzy Oscar film. Um, So he does more work along those lines where it's very much, you know... um, an artsier film, but his performance is always recognized by the Academy. So I love that they, you know, Marvel's not afraid to cast big names, but I don't think that he would have been top of mind for a role like this. So I'm, I'm glad that they did something so different.
0: Laura Donnelly plays Elsa Bloodstone, and I thought that she was really good. I thought that her character was complex I thought that her character was somebody that was easy to root for. um, And I just love her general attitude throughout the entire film.
1: She's great. Um, I think that she's very different from any other strong female lead that we've seen in Marvel so far. You know, when you compare her to a Gamora or a Black Widow, you know, all of them very strong. Gamora and Black Widow a little bit more sarcastic. Um, I wouldn't say that about Elsa, though. She's just got a big old chip on her shoulder. Um, but I really like the character. I think the actress was great. I'm not very familiar with her work, but I I think she knocked it out of the park here.
0: Harriet Sansom Harris plays Verusa, and I thought that she was really, really good because she just carried that aura about her like she nailed the evil stepmother thing she nailed the classic Hollywood villain thing you knew that you couldn't trust her she wore on her shoulder that she couldn't trust her um, and that you shouldn't trust her and I thought that like instead of it coming off like a ripoff like she took the role that you've seen a thousand times and yet she somehow made it her own I thought that she was an awful lot of fun
1: I thought she was great. I um I wish that we would have had a little bit more screen time with her. Uh, I also love the costume too, the the grieving widow with the veil. Um, but you really don't buy that she's actually grieving. It, it's such a great juxtaposition with this role.
0: Kirk Thatcher plays Joven. He was the monster hunter that had I think it was fifty seven kills. He was second to Jack. Um, and he has a completely brutal death where Ted basically burns his head off. Um, this he was great. I mean, if if not for Jack and Elsa, he's probably my favorite character in the movie.
1: I agree. One of those roles where very little lines, but for as little backstory as we got, his performance just gives you such a fully fleshed out character. Um you feel like you know him really well. Um, really interesting. He directed Muppets Haunted Mansion.
0: I can see that. Because he's a puppeteer by trade. I mean, that's really what he is. Most of what yeah. he's done is, it's been less of the acting and more of the, the puppeteering and the directing.
1: And writing, too, yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, Leonardo Nam plays Leon, who is Elsa's first kill of the film. Um, I thought he was really good. I mean, th- I feel like they brought him in there for the fight scene more than anything else. But for what he was brought in to do, he was cast very well. I agree. And then Daniel J. Watts plays Barrasso. Again, I-, I think they brought him in for his attitude. Um... I like the character. As sort of a secondary character, he worked. I thought he nailed the attitude. You're right. He's kind of a jerk, but not enough to the point where you necessarily want to see him get off. So I thought he towed the line really well. Right. And then Eugenie Bondurant plays Azarel, who frankly is the most useless character in this movie.
1: But stylistically, I love this character. It reminds me of David Bowie.
0: Yeah, and like I wish they would have like I, I wish they would have done more with this character, but the character doesn't speak. The character is there to just basically be a space filler and then die.
1: I wish we would have seen a kill from Azarel, because I feel like they would have done something over the top. Like you have to to match the aesthetic of the character. So I feel like that would have been a really elaborate or or you know, some sort of like either trick shot or some crazy trap or something. I would have loved to see something like that. Actually from all of the rest of these secondary characters, because I think if you had clued us into their weapons of choice and how they make their kills, it would have developed them a little bit more.
0: Yeah. Um, final thoughts on werewolf by night.
1: I loved it. Um, I mean, I'm a sucker for a black and white film, so I love that they went there. I love how they stylized it to look like a classic Hollywood film uh, or a classic Hollywood monster movie, I should say. Um, I I love the pacing. Uh, it gives you just enough, but it left me wanting more. Uh, so I hope that they do more with it. I would have loved to see like um, maybe not another movie, but if they did like a six parter with this, I'd be totally fine with that. And You know, you had mentioned earlier that this was stuck in development for a while. Why? It's so great. I I wish we had gotten this, you know, the way that they did the Guardians Halloween and they're going to do Christmas now. Really, what would it have taken to do a a Halloween special a couple
0: years ago? Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I loved it. I thought it was perfect for what it was. I thought the style was perfect, the pacing, the music. The characters, the acting, all of it, they knocked it out of the park. Um, I want more of it, but I'm kind of loving the idea of getting more of this short form out of Marvel, and we are going to have the Guardians Christmas film coming up in the next couple of weeks. Um, It's not that I don't like going to the movies, of course I do, and sitting for two hours, two and a half hours with a bucket of popcorn, and you're, you're watching a popcorn flick, but Marvel does such a good job whether it's in the theater or at home on Disney Plus. And I feel like when they do this short form, they can kind of experiment more and do a lot more, and I haven't really found too much outside of Loki and Falcon and the Winter Soldier more times than not what Marvel's doing for Disney Plus I think is a is a win. So if you're going to start digging into a really deep catalog of Marvel comics, I think that this is a good way to introduce us to new characters, and then eventually you'll weave them in and out of other films, other shows. Um, So I think that this is a big win going straight to Disney Plus the way that they did.
1: I agree. And those two series that you mentioned, those would have been perfect for an hour lump because we've we've gotten so much Loki in Thor. Um, and as much as we love the character, we didn't love the six-part series. We we did a bonus episode of it. Yeah. Um, because we did a rewatch and we tried to get into it. But that would have been just enough of a taste to delve into Loki a little bit more and really find out what makes him tick. Without feeling like it dragged on over six episodes. Yeah. Uh, I mean, maybe with the TVA, that's not enough time to set up something like that. But for the character, I think it would have been just enough. Likewise with Falcon and the Winter Soldier. We've all known since the end of Endgame that Cap passed the torch over to uh, Sam. Yeah. Yeah. And we know that he's going to get his own film. So that would have been just enough of a transition had they done it as a short. Something like WandaVision. That was heavily stylized. Of course, you're not going to do it that way. That worked as a longer series, but I think that's definitely something that they should consider moving forward.
0: Yeah. We want to know what you have to say about Werewolf by Night. You can let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio, or you can email us monorealradio at gmail.com. Thank you all so much for joining us this and every week on Monoreal Radio. I just gave you that social media. We are also on TikTok at Radio. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and rate us on Verbal or your podcast platform of choice. And for links to everything related to the show, it's online at monorealradio.com. For Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone.
1: On behalf of Monoreal
0: Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.